Okay, welcome to episode two of About That MBA podcast, uh, the podcast for people who are curious about MBAs and what they're all about, created by the students living the experience. Uh, my name's Tim, and I'm an MBA student at Surrey Business School and the host and creator of this show. And before we get started, just a quick reminder that if you're not following us on Twitter, you can follow us at That MBA Podcast um, to keep up with our comings and goings. We'll be uh, doing Q&As in future. And uh, uh, yeah, do make sure you follow us on the Twitter so you can engage with us. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about operations management, the module we've just completed it, uh, which was called Managing the Agile Business. And uh, I'd like to welcome my second guest, uh, Trisha Connolly. Trisha, good evening. Good evening. Um, so uh, Trisha is another member of our MBA cohort. She's our one and only American and um, also a former employee of a little company called Kellogg. Um, and coincidentally, we used to live about 30, 40 miles away from each other when we lived in Michigan. Yeah, about that. It's crazy how, uh, how we've ended up going to the same university. Um, and yeah, now uh, Trisha is also here at the MBA program at the University of Surrey. So Trisha, first of all, I've, I've voluntold you to come on this show uh, to talk about operations and supply chain because of your, your particular background. Um, but would you mind telling us a little bit more about your uh, working life so far? Yeah. First off, thanks for having me. Glad to be your second guest. Uh, so as you, as Tim said, I am the only American, so I get called out a lot in class for being the only American. <laughs> but I have um, pretty much spent my entire life in Michigan. I've studied supply chain management. That's where the operation comes in at Michigan State University. And from there, I moved on to being an intern at Kellogg Company and had been there for the four years leading up to now. So I've kind of worked a little bit in IT change management, dealing with implementing technology products and solutions to sales teams, traveled around the country, teaching salespeople how to use iPhones. <laughs> that was uh, fun. I've done a lot of instructional design, um, some communications, and then I kind of found my area of expertise so far in my life in Tableau and analytics. So data visualizations, which put me into a uh, procurement technology role where I worked a lot with visualizing all of our procurement data and ERP systems. So that's kind of back where supply chain came back into my career. So, Sure, sure. That's, that's quite a fascinating mix. I guess that, that would have come from being a graduate at a big company where you get sort of roles, rotated through a range of roles and stuff like that. Yeah, I, um, I didn't think I was going to land into IT. I took an IT specialization minor and that was my first internship and then I kind of grew within that role and I'll get into it a little bit later, but kind of wanted to make a change, so that's why I decided, well, I might as well use the other side of my degree, my main degree, to get some experience in supply chain. So that's why procurement was nice. I had the connections within the big company to make that move to a different group within the company. Excellent. And uh, within your, your most recent role in the IT change management stuff, um, what, what were some of the challenges that came along with that job? What were, your, what were the main headaches? I think the biggest things were working with so many different groups, especially with the big sales rollouts. Mm -hmm. So I was part of a project where we were completely changing the sales organization down to how the people were affected, people were losing their jobs, and we had to tell them, use this new technology because it will make your job a lot easier. And they did not believe us at all. Um, <laughs> so it was really hard to, one, making sure all the stakeholders agreed on everything. This is the best route to go 
with moving this project forward, but then also motivating the employees to want to be able to make this change and different skill levels you're working with. I'm coming from the IT organization. You're working with salespeople who are on the road every day, um, may not know how to use technology. So I think that was some of the biggest challenges was adapting to the range of people that you work with on such a big scale project. Sure, sure. Of course, um, always the way, I mean, change management's got to be such an uphill struggle in almost every project that you take on, right? Yeah. And overcoming that inertia. mm -hmm. And that's kind of what drove me away a little bit from it. (laughs) It was uh, a lot of just, I don't know, too much, what do these people want and how do we get them, but how do we get them to do what we want them to do? So I kind of found my, like, better spot over in data analytics for a bit, but kind of realized maybe change management, change management is somewhere I want to go the rest of my career. We'll see. Always willing to embrace a challenge. Um, so speaking of challenges, what, what, what was it that led you to think about doing an MBA and what particularly drew you to doing one in the UK? So I wanted to make a change in what I was doing. I had spent my whole life in Michigan, um, four and a half years at the same company. Um, I originally thought about doing this a year ago, um, before I even moved to my procurement technology position. And I kind of realized now's quite not the right time. Give it another year, get some more experience somewhere else. So still holding on to wanting to get an MBA because I wanted to make sure that I was broadening my own career. Mm -hmm. I saw way too many of the people I worked with because Kellogg is headquartered in a small town in Michigan not a lot of people leave. It takes a lot of time for people to kind of realize, oh, they want something more. They're like, I work for a big company in a small town, and I didn't want to become one of those people. I wanted to break out of the small town Michigan um, and get international experience was like, hands down, the biggest thing I wanted. Uh, My first conversation with someone at Kellogg back when I was 20 years old, um, I was told a story about how Um, This employee got to work in Manchester for a year, and that, I was like, I want to work for this global company, I'll have experience, like, I could maybe work internationally one day. I get four and a half years into my career, and I'm like, I don't think that's quite possible with where I'm still at. I got to go make that happen myself. And so that's why I was, I'm going to not only get out of Michigan, I'm going to get out of America and go to England, get international experience and see where the rest of my career goes. Fantastic, so you came over to the 51st state then to uh, yeah, <laughs> join all the fun over here. Yep. Um, so and in going from working life to being a mature student, what do you think is the biggest change, You know, coming back to this university environment and having to learn again, and study and do essays and assignments? What's, what's been the biggest change for you? First off, a lot more writing. <laughs> I did not write as much as I am now with, um, but that's something that's small. It's it's more of that it's an extremely fast-paced environment, and I'm a lot more invested in school than I ever was in my four years of undergrad. And I think it's because I've invested a lot myself in this, leaving my job. All of us, you talk to anyone in our um, cohort, and they'll tell you the same thing, but when you go to pursue a full-time MBA, you have to give up a lot, and if your heart's not in it, to really focus on being a student, then it's maybe not necessarily worth making that change. So I think 
all in all, the fast-paced environment helps you to keep focused on what the big picture of getting an MBA is. Um, being able to immerse yourself into an entire like project um, class for two weeks and walk out at the end of it and be like, wow, I actually learned something from here, where in undergrad you're managing four classes at a time and you're just like, I just want to get a good grade on this exam, and then you forget all the information and you move on because you don't have anything to relate it to. Now I have four years of experience where we're talking through something in class and I'm like, oh, wait, this connects to this one situation that happened two years ago. How could I have done something different knowing what I know now? So it's more of a reflective um, experience as well. Yeah, I think that reflective process has been something that's really surprised me as well, actually. Like the way that when we've gone through, you know, you go through the lecture, you go through the class discussion, it's, it's when people have told those stories that, hey, we did this at my company or we did this in this uh, situation and, you know, it went wrong or it actually played out this, this, this. Um, those are the those are the experiences that I've really personally taken quite a lot from. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you could you'd agree it's, the, it's that reflective, that introspective aspect that's really kind of resonated with uh, with me at least yeah and there's always something to do I used to be able to come home from work at the end of the day sometimes just put it aside now it's always something mm. yeah it's all the reading it's the studying it's the recording silly podcasts yeah. and <laughs> all the side projects and for people who are thinking about an MBA um, what what would your advice be to them if you cast your mind back to where you were at when you were first applying I would say Make sure it's the right time. I, I'm glad that I waited the year because I wanted to kind of start this in the fall of 2017. I was like, give it a year. At that point, I was only about three and a half years into my career. A lot of um, programs, they say you to have four to five years of experience at the mm. low end. Yeah. And if you are hesitant about it, give it some time. It's never going to hurt you if you have one more year of experience before going into an MBA program because that one more year experience is only going to help you more when you're in the program. Mm -hmm. um, also, don't just go to escape a job you're unhappy with. I was trying to escape the job I was unhappy with and ended up moving into a job I really loved right before leaving um, to do this program. And it's... It's been kind of weird leaving a job that I really enjoyed, but still holding on to, I'm furthering my education. This is something that I really wanted to do. I want to go in with an open mind, even though I'm leaving something that I could have spent the rest of my life doing. That also scared me. <laughs> so be prepared to go in at the right time, hit the ground running, and put your all into it, because if you... You're only going to get out of it what you put into it, I think is my biggest biggest advice too when you actually start an MBA program. It's definitely a process. I know that we've done lots of exercises where I've gone, oh, what's what's really the point here? What's really the... I've been a little skeptical in, in, in terms of whether it's a group thing or a, um, you know, making a video or something like that. But then when I've come out the other side, I've gone, oh, okay, I'm glad I committed to it because now I can kind of reflect back on it and see that I image. And you have to kind of trust the process and put all your chips on the table just to just to get the most out of it in that respect yeah now that we're I think what we're eight weeks in mm, something like that yeah um it's I think I brought a lot of energy to the first couple weeks and they always say you kind of hit your highs and lows throughout and 
at times I've been like, oh, this it's just dragging on. What is like not trusting the process? And then you get to the end of some big um, accomplishment, submitting a paper, being done with the presentation, and you kind of have to just step back and realize the little steps that you're making towards a bigger investment. And hopefully there are less lows and more highs moving forward. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, eight or so weeks in, and we've uh, we've completed our second module, which was titled "Managing the Agile Business," um, which balanced the very formal operations management, or your lean and agile and your supply chain stuff, um, with human resource management and organizational behavior. Which, um, on the face of it, when I was coming into it, I was thinking, how on earth are they going to mix all those two together? Um, what did you What did you think of the balance in uh, in the kind of operational side and the personnel side in this module? It was interesting as going through a supply chain degree in my undergrad, I really disliked operations. For some reason, it never clicked in my head how numbers, inventory, and then we get the reading list for this module and half of it is on personality types and how to work with people. <laughs> and I'm like, operations is numbers and inventory. How are they possibly gonna connect these two? And then, I unfortunately actually missed the first day of um, the module because I was sick, because that's what happens when you come to university. You get sick eventually. You get the freshest flu. So I come in day two, trying to catch up on everything that's happening, and jump right into an HRM, organizational behavior lecture, and I was like, now I understand. Like, you have to be able to, whatever change you make in operations, moving to a lean or agile strategy, you got to get the people to do it. And as much as it seems like two separate topics, I had never gone through an organizational behavior class before, mm. but I don't think it would have been beneficial in my undergrad because you don't really realize the effects of it until you are working full-time in an organization to understand the things that organizations do that either motivate, demotivate, make people want to leave, how people are working together. So you kind of, it, it's that full picture of, okay, this is what the company wants to do. How do we get the people to do it? You and, definitely need the real world experience to add that context for sure. I remember thinking back to my former company, there were lots of times we were a, uh, we were a small company when I joined, we were about 25 people. And when I left, we were over a hundred. And so, you know, there's a lot of growth in that time and a lot of need to figure out how to do things. Um, as a company and you know there were lots of processes that they go oh we need to do this kind of management thing or this kind of project management uh, let's do this this and this and there were lots of times when it failed and I there was always that unspoken attitude of oh this is always the way we've done things so we're just going to keep doing it that cultural inertia if you will um, that caused a lot of these processes to fail in implementation and that was that was something that really came through I think the organizational behavior stuff especially when we got into the motivating factors and um, I think probably you could probably relate to that a lot more with your change management role I would imagine um, yeah yeah I, uh, my change management role that I was unhappy and wanting to escape before I moved I'm now realizing <laughs> okay I kind of get how some of the exercises that my old team would be, we have to figure out how we get these people to want to embrace change. Sure. And I always thought it was like, come on, just just give them the technology, tell them they got to use it. Like, <laughs> And now I'm like, I, I understand because I also have been in that same part um, 
not, I mean, Kellogg has been a great company, but I was in a group where we kind of were very cynical about HR at the company and it's companies are trying to rapidly change and make sure that they're moving their business forward but also having the best workforce Mm. and we would see all of these end of the year performance reviews as kind of a waste of time because what do they do with it and understanding that even better from my own side of things on something that I was also trying to force things on people and then you don't realize it until you're being forced to do something and the whole reflective process again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So as, as part of this module, we did a class visit to the Royal Mail sorting facility in Gatwick, um, which I've never been in I've never been in a plant quite like that before. I've been in manufacturing plants and stuff like that, but I've never been in something that was so, um, I don't know, so manually labor intensive. Um, but for you as an American, um, you know, coming into this, this twee little English institution um, and you came from an organization with huge distribution operations, what, what were your impressions of, of that organization visit? I think it was, like you said, that it was run by so many people. Mm. There were people just throwing letters into buckets <laughs> to sort and... You could tell that there was that attempt at investing in technology. So from my background, I'm always, how can we improve this with technology? How can we do this? Mm. But from the learning, it's you can't do all this without people. Mm. Um, But Royal Mail almost relied too heavily on people. There were, they have this, uh, what's the Royal Mail Charter, where they have to get first class mail out in one day, which coming from the U.S. I'm like, mail and overnight, that's not a thing. (laughs) You have to live next door. Um, So I think that hurts them with having to keep up with their service requirements while trying to improve technology, big projects, but they still need people throwing letters into buckets to get the job done. Um, I didn't have much of a chance to see the distribution at Kellogg. Mm. I I worked with kind of understanding how it was organized as I worked heavily with the sales group, but that's something I wish I knew a lot more of coming from a big company is kind of how things ran from getting the product from, I have an understanding of the high level, but Mm. not quite the small operations and how many people are really a part of it. Because I know there are a lot of people that are a part of it, but I'm kind of unsure of how it would relate back to Royal Mail if it's on the same scale. Sure, sure. One thing that really shocked me was just the level of manual handling that went on in that place. So, um, you know, you had people manually bringing letters in off trucks, loading it into the automated sorting machine. But that was only about, um, I don't know, two thirds of the letters that were coming in. There were still some that were just odd shapes and sizes that had to be manually sorted. And then there were the ones that were rejected. Then you have all the packaging packages, which at the moment are fully manually sorted, which was just bizarre to me. I mean, especially the uh, special delivery stuff that all has those barcodes on it, you know, um, that are encoded with all the information of the address, the tracking information. You'd think that would be a perfect candidate for automation to introduce. But part of me, and this is my slightly cynical and you know, bringing my own cultural experience with the Royal Mail and them always going on dry, strike, part of me wonders is, part of the region, well, one of the real challenges that the, the change management or the uh, uh, continuous improvement folks at Royal Mail must face is just the resistance from the workforce. 
in anything that could ever cut the number of jobs. And it's a very heavily unionized company, so um, that's got to be a real challenge for them to overcome. And I did think it was laid, it was kind of tacitly there in some of the cultural uh, cultural assets that we observed around the sites. You had all your union posters and um, things about uh, uh, you know devaluing, making sure the stamps are properly written off and everything. Um, it was very uh, <laughs> pretty surreal to uh, to go through that. But um, <clears throat> anyway. Um, so just thinking back about the whole OBHRM, the organizational behavior and uh, human resource management combined with operations, so lean and agile, managing the agile business, um, was there any part of the course content that really like resonated with you? What really kind of stuck with you when you think back to the whole module? So there's a couple different things. One kind of relates to what our, I eventually wrote our assignment on, but I think the biggest thing was it was probably second to last day we were given an article to read about identifying with a company mm. and how companies some do it really well where you i think they talked about um ups where you bleed brown and i realized i'm still heavily connected with kellogg because of the things that they did to the culture even though employees may have been unhappy with where the culture was moving but I'm sitting in this lecture two months out of my job thinking I'm still so connected to this company mm. I've written two or three of my papers about this company and I kind of didn't realize how much even though we were very cynical towards how the company was run at times that I was still very connected and how you can use that in future whenever I go into future to kind of understand what organization I'm in and what level of commitment that employees have to that organization. Yeah, it was another one of those great moments to really reflect on your past working life. You know, it holds up a mirror to these psychological contracts that exist between the employer and the employee. And there were lots of, we'd already, you know, in the few weeks of class before we, you know, it was always, oh, in my company, we do it this way, we do it that way. Um, you know, every single one of us doesn't work for our former employers anymore. So it, it was really... It was a kind of uh, light bulb moment when you realize, yes, these contracts really do exist and we do still, you know, I guess it's like getting over a breakup. It takes a long time for you to stop identifying with the culture of the organization, with the way that they do things, with um, even just being a part of that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's always surprising how this reflective experience kind of draws out little tidbits of your uh, working life for sure. Yeah, and then as well as the connecting to the supply chain operation side of things, I went through little Michigan State University has the number one supply chain program in the U.S. So I went through go that. Green. But <laughs> go white. <laughs> um, I never fully connected it when you're learning it for the first time in undergrad. And so after going through four years of experience, even though one year was in procurement, I'm going through these lectures and I'm like oh wait I learned this four years ago but I never really knew how to apply it mm, so then that's yeah. where the supply chain side helped okay this is where I can actually apply these here's how the people do it and that's kind of how I came to what we wrote or what I wrote my assignment on was realizing that topics that we covered in lean versus agile were components of a project that I worked on with the sales team mm -hmm. And then I realized as well, okay, they were making a operations change and then they also had to motivate the people to do it. Mm. And it was this big light bulb where I'm like, oh, 
and I get to write a paper about this now, and I'm actually excited to write this paper. Um, it's, again, connecting to how it's different being a mature student is, I was never that excited to write a paper when I was an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only got to get 40% to class. Okay, so on that note, that is just about all we have time for on this episode of the About That MBA podcast. Uh, join us next time when we'll have another guest on to introduce their experiences of going to business school uh, and we'll be talking about marketing which is our next module in line uh, in the meantime be sure to follow us on twitter at that mba podcast where we'll be hopefully soliciting your questions to do a Q&A session on the next show and uh, with that Trisha thank you so much for joining me on this one thank you and uh, till next time thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>